Okay, let's try again. <laughs> Sorry you didn't get to hear, <laughs> you may have heard the music playing, but you didn't get to hear me uh, singing that from the pulpit mic there uh, as we were going through the service earlier. Uh, our microphone was unconnected from our fifth Sunday sing and didn't get that connected back in. Let me just go ahead and start again then on our prayer list uh, to just update a few here. Uh, Paco Prince is doing better. He's been here a few weeks with us uh, after his burns to his legs. Still continuing to heal, so still keep him in prayer. Beth Kidd got good results from her tests, uh, so we praise the Lord for that. Erin Murray had her procedure earlier this week and is doing great uh, with hers, but continue to remember uh, her in prayer as she continues to heal from that. And Alan Johnson also uh, was, a, was taken to the ICU or was taken to, I guess was taken to, he is in ICU, uh, was taken to the uh, emergency room this morning, uh, and that is the update. Uh, Amy didn't give me all the update there uh, on that, but uh, he had some heart issues, uh, so remember him uh, in your prayers as he is at the ICU there. Uh, remember also on the right-hand side, continue to remember the Calgary Mission Partnership there. Uh, the mission trip went great, but we want to continue to remember in prayer the partnership itself, uh, as, as well as we remember those missionaries. Uh, remember Libby Kine, uh, who is Rick Miller's mother, uh, who had a stroke. Uh, she still has hospice, has had some improvements, but just continue to keep her in your prayers. And then remember Matt Kohler's uh, extended family uh, with medical issues. There are several family members uh, that were having some medical issues. His dad had had some kidney issues, and others in the family have had some issues too. And then also remember Tish Craig Ray, uh, who has lymphoma. That's another uh, member of their family. Uh, any others that we need to remember or mention? Okay, so Linda Ray, who's at Life Care, had some issues. They had to take her to Vanderbilt, but she is back now at Life Care, so just keep her in your prayers. Anybody else? Yes. And that's Margaret Cobble, if you'll remove her as she had passed away. Any others that we need to update? Any praise reports? Any we need to remove? Any we need to add? I don't see any here. I'm looking online and I don't see any online there. So uh, let's go ahead then and go to the Lord in prayer for these and pray for our, our time in looking at God's word tonight in the book of Revelation. Lord, we just want to come before you in your presence tonight asking you to speak to our hearts, Lord. Lord, we know for you to speak to our hearts and for us to hear from your voice, for us to know, Lord, that you would hear our prayers. Uh, we know, Lord, that sin can hinder that, and so we just want to first and foremost come before you acknowledging who you are, that you are an almighty, holy God who, who we stand in the presence of in all humility. Knowing, Lord, that we're not worthy of your grace, we're not worthy of your mercy, we're not worthy of your forgiveness, and yet we come, Lord, seeking all of those things. We seek your grace, and we seek your mercy. We seek your loving kindness toward us. And we just ask, God, that you will shine the light of the truth of your presence into our lives greater than ever before, that we might confess any sin in our hearts and in our lives before you. 
so that uh, there would be no hindrance in our, in our talk with you, in our prayer with you. Lord, we want to glorify and honor the precious name of Jesus in our lives. And so we come asking for the cleansing, precious blood of Jesus Christ in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we pray that as we uplift all of these that we have mentioned on this prayer list, others who we may not have mentioned, and maybe yet unspoken needs that we may have, Lord, we just pray for your divine intervention, for your healing hand to be upon each one of these individuals. Uh, Father, we just pray for you to show your power and your glory and your majesty in a powerful way that we might use this, Lord, as a testimony and a witness to others uh, around us uh, of your saving grace and mercy and your hand at work. And so, Father, we just pray for uh, you to be with them and all of their needs. We pray for your grace to be upon them, as you've told us that your grace is sufficient for our needs. Uh, Father, we pray that you will work in their lives in such a way that, uh, that, that you will encourage those individuals as they're going through these difficult times. Give them strength, give them peace, give them comfort. Uh, Father, give them guidance and maybe decisions uh, that they may have to make. And Father, there are many other needs that we have on our hearts and needs around our nation and around our world that we uplift to you. And we just ask God for you to divinely intervene in all of those and continue, God, to use us to be a blessing to others, uh, whether it's through our prayers or whether it's through our giving or whether it's through our going and, and walking alongside and ministering alongside uh, those individuals. Lord, we just pray for your hand to be upon us. Fill us, Lord, with your spirit. Uh, Lord, fill us with your love. Uh, fill us, Lord, with your presence that as we uh, go forth into the community, uh, whether it's at our workplace or as school has begun uh, back, Lord, or whether it's just in our community where we live. Uh, Father, I pray that you will use us to be a witness and a testimony uh, to those who are lost around us. Lord, continue to be with those teachers and students as they have begun school again this week. We pray for your blessings upon each one of them. We pray for our missionaries and for your hedge of protection uh, to be there for them as they continue the work uh, wherever they are serving across this nation, across uh, Canada, uh, around this world, uh, wherever it may be. Lord, we ask your blessings upon them uh, in a powerful way. Lord, we ask that uh, as we get to the place of studying your word tonight in the book of Revelation, uh, Lord, may there be application, may there be things that we would see, that we would recognize even in our own day uh, of the things that are being set for the stage, for the, for the end times, Lord, for the day of the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so help us, Lord, to learn from your truth. Help us to learn from your word. And, Lord, may we use it, may it be used in our hearts to give us, Lord, an urgency about sharing the gospel with those around us before it's too late, before it's too late in that we go home to be with you, and before it's too late in that Jesus comes again when the trumpet sounds. So bless us, Lord, in the reading of your word, in the hearing of your word, and in the keeping of your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, take your Bibles, if you will, turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 13, chapter 13. And we're just going to be looking at the first half of chapter 13 in verses 1 down through verse 10. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start with verse 1 and verse 2, and then I want to give you some uh, information to kind of set the stage for us here for chapter 13. Verse 1 and verse 2 says this, And I saw a beast 
get this phrase, rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet like a bear's, its mouth like a lion's mouth, and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Now, remember who is writing this. This is John the Apostle. He's on the island of Patmos. He's imprisoned when he is writing this. Uh, he penned the book of Revelation and warned earlier in his first letter, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18, he wrote three letters uh, there to the churches, and he said, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, notice what he says, so many Antichrists have come. Uh, therefore, we know that it is the last hour. And so John had written that in his first epistle, in his first letter, and now he begins to flesh all of that out more. That warning is becoming reality in the vision that he's given. We're introduced in these verses to the devil's Messiah, to Satan's Superman, if you will, to the counterfeit from cry of Christ uh, from hell, the devil incarnate. Now, the, the currents of history, what we will see here, are, are silently and yet swiftly carrying the world towards a one-world government and a one-world ruler. Years ago, people used to think, that's crazy, that's absurd, that this world would be controlled by one uh, leader. Uh, you, back in the, the 1800s and before, there was just no comprehension of that, even in the early 1900s. But we have seen the tides shift and change throughout our world now. Politics, if you will, are, are kind of greasing the skids and technology is opening the door uh, for the final one world uh, wide dictatorship that will take place just prior to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you look back to Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, here's what it tells us. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now that's coming about. That's a promise that was made in chapter 11. But before that takes place, Satan is going to make one last ditch effort to make the kingdoms of this world the kingdoms of his world. There's going to be, if you will, this satanic struggle uh, for world domination that's going to culminate in two people coming on the world scene, the false prince and the false prophet. And these demonic henchmen will be the devil's puppets to do his bidding, if you will, as he seeks to dominate the world. In this passage that we're looking at in verse 1 through verse 10, we're going to study the false prince. Notice this is the beast that comes out of the sea. Now, take and turn in your Bibles or look just over there. It's not on the screen. But in chapter 13, verse 11, he says, I saw another beast rising where? Out of the earth. This first one rises out of the sea. The second one rises out of the earth. And so this is the first one that we're going to talk about is this false prince, the beast out of the sea. We'll get to the next one next week. 
The Apostle John here, though, gives us four characteristics of this Antichrist, of this satanic Superman, if you will. Here's the first characteristic, is that he depicts Satan. He's a picture, if you will, of Satan. That's what you see in verse 1 and verse 2. So read it again with me. I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems or ten crowns on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. We'll we'll come back to that verse in just a moment. Let's just stop with verse 1. This beast, whoever or whatever he is, we saw there in that phrase, is rising out of the sea. Now the sea is is symbolic in the book of Revelation for the world of humanity. Uh, If you read in verse 15, verse 15 says uh, of of chapter 17, uh, where we get some information that describes and gives us fleshes out who this is and a little more description. Chapter 17 and verse 15 says, The angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. That's just one of the places that we see where that word sea Uh, is represented there, uh, the waters are representative of the sea of humanity. So rising out of this boiling, bubbling mass of humanity represented as the sea is the coming Antichrist. Isaiah 57 and verse 20 spoke of the wicked as uh, the wicked are like the tossing sea. For it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. And so the, the beast is going to be birthed from the womb, if you will, of wicked humanity. It's going to come from, he's going to come from people. Uh, he's going to have uh, uh, this, this satanic supernatural uh, emphasis to him, but he's coming out uh, of mankind himself. Uh, think about this, though. Dictatorships have always arisen out of social chaos and confusion. You think about Napoleon. Napoleon came out of, out of the bloody uh, confusion uh, of chaos in the, in the French Revolution. Uh, Lenin came from the revolution of the labor, labor movement in Russia. Uh, it was out of social upheaval and political turmoil that Hitler uh, came into power. And so it is that out of this bubbling uh, mess of, of chaos that we call civilization, this beast is going to come. Now, this beast is none other than the Antichrist. Paul calls him in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, the man of lawlessness or the man of sin. Now, it's interesting to observe that the world began with the sin of man, and it's going to end with the man of sin. It it began with the sin of man, and it's going to end with the man of sin. This beast is literally Satan incarnate. Just like Jesus was God in the flesh, this beast will be Satan in human form. We're given a clue as to his identity uh, of this beast in verse 1 because we read this in verse 1 in the second part that he, he rose out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. We'll get to that blasphemy part in just a minute. But this isn't the first time that we've read a description like this. If you go back to the previous chapter that we looked at several weeks ago in chapter 12 and verse 3, read what John said there in Revelation 12, 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with 
How many heads? Seven heads and ten horns. And on his head, how many diadems? How many crowns? Seven. Okay, so get that picture there. This dragon was identified for us when you got down to chapter 12 and verse 9, and it says the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So the beast, the Antichrist, is literally the incarnation, if you will, of the devil himself. This beast is, is simply a, a chip off the old block, if you will. When Jesus was on this earth, he could say, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, when the Antichrist is on this earth, he'll be able to say the same thing. When you've seen me, you've seen my Father. You've seen, the, you've seen who I am. You've seen the devil. Uh, and, and so he is Satan's uh, imitation of the incarnation. And that's all that Satan continues to do throughout the rest of this book. He continues to imitate what God has already done. Uh, and so everything that Satan is in his person, in his nature, in his personality, so is this beast. This beast is simply the visible expression of the invisible devil. We're given some further description, though, of the beast in verse 2. Uh, in Daniel chapter 7, let's read verse 2 first again. He said that I saw what this beast that I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Go back to Daniel chapter 7, and you can see that clue to the meaning of this verse, because there have been four worldwide empires who have ruled in the past. The first was the Babylonian Empire. Uh, that's represented by the lion. It was the regal royal empire. It was the kingdom of the hanging gardens, uh, which was one of the seven ancient wonders uh, of the world. The second worldwide kingdom was the decompression kingdom. This is represented by the bear. Uh, because the Persian kingdom was a kingdom of uh, tremendous savage power. And so you've got the Babylonian kingdom that's represented uh, by the lion. Uh, you've got, uh, or, or sorry, by the bear. Yeah, yeah, by the lion. And then you've got uh, uh, the Persian kingdom represented by the lion. And then you've got the third kingdom, the Grecian empire, that's represented by the leopard. No military general conquered his enemies more quickly and more swiftly than did Alexander the Great, who had conquered all of the known world by the time he was at the age of 33 years old. And then he sat down and he wept because there was no more worlds to conquer. In Daniel chapter 7, also the fourth and last empire was the Roman Empire. Uh, this was the last worldwide empire to rule and to reign before its demise and its fall. And many believe that the Antichrist is going to once again rule and reign over uh, the revived Roman Empire. Uh, so the reason why this beast is described in these various terms as, as a leopard, as a bear, uh, and as a lion is because that is all that he embodies. He, he, he's, all of those combined powers of those different creatures and those abilities and attributes of those past kingdoms and rulers will be found in this one individual. He's going to be swift as a leopard. He's going to take over uh, this world practically overnight. He'll be as strong as as a bear, nobody's going to be able to stand against him. He's going to be sovereign as a lion who is the king of the jungle. Now, there is a slight difference between the Antichrist 
and Satan. Because you remember, Satan's description was given to us about the dragon. How many heads did he have? Seven. So there, there, the slight difference, so Revelation 12, 3 tells us Satan had seven crowns or seven diadems. Uh, here we read that the Antichrist has how many? In verse 1, 10. He has 10 crowns. And so there's that slight difference. Uh, the 10 crowns represent 10 kingdoms. When you look over to Revelation 17, 12, which gives us a little more insight into what we're reading here, just like we saw what the sea was, Revelation 17, 12 tells us about the crowns. It says, the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. So in other words, what we're picturing here, what we're seeing here, is that this beast is going to head a, a United Nations, if you will, or a United States of, of Europe, a revived Roman Empire of ten kingdoms or nations. Now, some used to believe that, that maybe that was uh, the European Union. Uh, back when they used to have about 12 nations, now there's 27 uh, that are part of that conglomeration of, of nations that have united together for political gain. Uh, there's also today what we know as the G8. You ever heard of the G8? Those are the, the superpower nations of the world, if you will, the eight superpower nations that meet together sometimes to decide things together. So you could easily see with just a couple of more added how it could become a G10, if you will. So the pieces of the prophetic puzzle are in place. We're already seeing uh, the stages being set for that kind of governance over the world. And the world is being ripened for the taking uh, by the Antichrist. This beast is going to go on from ruling, though, this confederation of ten kingdoms to ruling the entire world. Uh, when you go back to that verse that says there in Revelation 17, 12, what does it say? They're to receive authority as kings for how long? One hour together with the beast. Now, we know those, the, the words there, hours and weeks, uh, are, are represented differently as we're looking in the scriptures here. But it's going to be for a brief, short time that these ten nations are going to rule with him, and then he's just going to take over everything and become the one leader over all the world, from being a ruler over this confederation of ten kingdoms to ruling the entire world. And he's going to do it swiftly. He's going to do it so subtly uh, so that it'll happen almost uh, before the world even realizes it. Uh, when you go back in our history and you, uh, of the world and, and you think back to Mussolini, uh, who was strutting his strength across the Mediterranean world, someone asked him, how did, he, how did you come to power so quickly? And here was what his answer was. He, he said, I found Europe full of empty throne rooms and simply walked in and took one of them. That's what Mussolini said. This Antichrist is going to be even worse. That's how the Antichrist is going to rise to power. He's going to pluck thrones and kingdoms like fruit from an overripe tree. He's going to be energized by Satan himself. And that's what the second half of verse 2 talks about. And to it, to this beast, the dragon gave his power 
and his throne and great authority. He's going to have the power to do anything and the power to do everything. What the Lord refused to take from the devil, the beast is going to gladly accept. That's exactly what Paul says over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9, where he says the coming of the lawless one is by the, and that's speaking of the Antichrist, is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Now that may seem far-fetched to us. It may seem like some, some kind of apocalyptic fairy tale, but believe you me, the world is ripe for the taking. And I believe that the pieces of the puzzle are being put into place for this coming world dictator. How soon that will be, I have no idea. But the, but the way we see our world shaping up and setting up, the time is drawing ever so close. The second point we see comes in verse 3 through verse 4 as we see another characteristic of this Antichrist. He deceives the sinner. He deceives the sinner. Notice verse 3. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. So we'll stop right there for just a second. We'll come back to verse 4. The world is going to line up behind the satanic superman, if you will, in single file, kind of like the, uh, the, the mice following the Pied Piper. He's going to command the world's respect. He's going to demand the world's reverence. Uh, not only is the world going to crown him as king, they're going to worship him as God. It's always been the devil's main desire to have people worship him. He's always wanted to be exalted to the place of God. And the reason why the devil has always wanted to be like God is so that people would worship him as God. The devil's not interested in casualties. He's interested in converts. So, so don't be deceived by, by his nomenclature. Don't be deceived by the fact here that he's called a beast uh, that refers to his character and, and his cruelty. It doesn't refer to his image. The beast is going to be uh, a smooth, suave, devonair. The Bible says that the devil is like an angel of light. And this Antichrist, he's not going to be some rough, tough guy that, that everybody's going to hate what he's doing. Everybody's going to like what he's doing. And he's going to be very charming. And he's going to be very appealing. Uh, continue on, if you will. Uh, verse 5 tells us, we'll skip to verse 5, we'll come back to verse 4. Verse 5 says, And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. And so uh, this war-weary world, think about what's happened so far up to this point in the prophecies. Wars upon wars, calamity upon calamity, judgment upon judgment. Uh, this world is, is going to devour his message of peace and prosperity, hook, line, and sinker. Why does this world so blindly and so quickly follow this coming Antichrist? One, because of what we see in verse 3, his miraculous resurrection. So when you see that in verse 3, what does that remind you of? He has this mortal wound, but his mortal wound is healed. 
This counterfeit Christ is, is somehow going to fake, if you will, the greatest miracle of all, the resurrection. Somehow he's going to sustain what appears to be a mortal wound to the head. He's going to be declared clinically dead, but amazingly and apparently he's going to rise from the dead. He's going to do what Houdini said he would do but never could do, and that's defy death itself. And the world is going to marvel, and the world is going to follow the beast. So it's going to look like he died. Because it says he seemed to have a mortal wound, but he doesn't have a mortal wound. He, he, it's like feigning uh, death to, to come back to be uh, resurrected. And, and think about this, a world which literally has made it a pastime, if you will, of denying uh, and the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ for century after century after century. They're going to fall hook, line, and sinker for this. And, and they're going to accept this resurrection of this Antichrist, where they never would accept the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Having denied the one who is the way, they're going to accept the one who's the dead-end street, if you will. Having denied the one who's the truth, they're going to accept the one who's a liar. They're going to accept the one who is death itself. Some of the very persons who denied Job's miracles and, 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 and God's miracles and rejected the Messiah are, are going to believe in the devil's miracle and accept his Messiah. Now, that shouldn't really surprise us because here's what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 43. He said, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. He says, if another comes... In his own name, you will receive him. Jesus himself said, I've come in my father's name and you won't receive me, but you will receive another who comes in his own name. They're going to follow him to the point of making him their God. They're going to worship him. Does it surprise us to know that a world that won't worship God will worship a man? It ought not to surprise us. Because this Antichrist won't be the first man to be worshipped, nor will he be the last to be worshipped. This world is being prepared for the worship of just this very man. Arnold Toynbee, uh, who was one of the most eminent historians uh, of the last century, said, By forcing on mankind more and more lethal weapons, and at the same time making the world more and more interdependent economically, Technology has brought mankind to such a degree of distress that we are ripe for the deifying of any new Caesar who might succeed in giving the world unity and peace. In other words, this world is ready and ripe to deify any person who might rise to rule uh, like an ancient ruler of the Roman Empire and in fact to lift that person to the status almost, if you will, of God. But notice also his mighty rule in verse 4. They worship the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. So notice by what this Antichrist does, he points the people to worship the beast who gave him the power there. He says, and, and they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? 
The world is going to be absolutely awed, absolutely amazed at this mighty man. Just imagine taking the most attractive features uh, of the greatest attributes of, of someone like Alexander the Great and Genghis Khan and Napoleon or, and Hitler and combining all of those good features into one person. Not only is this the devil's Messiah, is Satan's masterpiece. He's going to bring a simple formula of peace. He's going to say to all of the nations, instead of, having, instead of us having rival factions and, and, and vying for dominion and domination, why not just have one government with one head, one kingdom, one king, one family with one father? After all, if we all have one father, then we're all part of one family, which means we're all just brothers. And you see that emphasis being pushed more and more. Two of the biggest humanistic lies ever told and being believed by the human race will become reality. The universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. So this great beast is going to stand to stride over this world as its only ruler. So, so get the picture there of what humanism says before we leave that part there. Uh, th this universal fatherhood of God and universal brotherhood of man. What the Bible says is that you can only come to the Father through Jesus Christ. There is no other way for us to be saved. But the world says, what about these other religions? Can't we all get along? Can't we all be part of the same brotherhood? There is an exclusivity in the gospel that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man can come to the Father but by me. There is no other way, no other religion, no other place to go but to Jesus. And so that is the lie of humanism, that we are all part of the same God. We're all bro the brotherhood of man, so let's all be together. And if you're not together with us, we're against you. And we're going to see that here in just a moment in these verses, because notice he defiles, he defiles the Savior. This is another characteristic of this beast. Verse 5 again <coughs> shows us this beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. This beast curses the God of heaven and even curses heaven itself since he cannot harm God nor his people He's been reduced to name-calling, to blasphemy. There have been many blasphemers on earth before, but none like this beast. He's going to have, if you will, a, a vocabulary that's not found in any dictionary. Blasphemies that are going to come from, from the dark depths of hell, from this man's soul that's going to flow uh, through his lips. His blasphemy is going to be strong and specific. Notice that he blasphemes God's hallowed person because he blasphemes the name of God. He blasphemes the name of God. Evidently, he would be very popular in Hollywood, wouldn't he? Because Christian bashing and blasphemy against God seems to be uh, prominent there. But he also blasphemes not only God's name. Notice he blasphemes God's holy place. 
because he blasphemes the tabernacle. Paul refers to this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4 where he's talking about the Antichrist. He says, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So he blasphemes not only God's name, he blasphemes God's holy place, but he also blasphemes God's heavenly people because he blasphemes those who dwell in heaven. Notice verse 6, it opened his mouth to utter blasphemies against God blaspheming his name and and his dwelling that's the tabernacle the temple that is those who dwell in heaven so he sees those saints who've already gone to glory who, who are beyond his reach beyond his reign beyond his rule beyond his revenge who someday will rule and reign this over this earth with jesus and he begins to spew out his attacks and his vicious outbursts against these saints. But then notice to those who are on this earth, verse 7 through verse 10, he destroys the saints. Also, this beast was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. So get the picture. He's not talking now about those saints in heaven. He has no power over those. He was just blaspheming those, using words against those. Now he's talking about saints uh, who, are, who are on this earth. He says to make war on the saints and to conquer them. The authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. These saints are believers on earth during the great tribulation. They're going to be hunted down like dogs. They're going to be uh, butchered like a wild animal. They're going to be killed in the streets, killed in their homes, killed in their churches, killed in their schools. If you're not part of us, we're against you and we're going to subvert you and do whatever we can against you. Continue on. It says this beast, uh, if you read down to verse 15, it says it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain, to be killed. Revelation 20 verse 4 speaks of, then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the, whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. And so uh, guillotines and gallows and gas chambers and whatever there is are going to be filled with bodies of believers. Uh, There's going to be a bloodbath, if you will, of those who refuse to worship the beast. And this bloodthirsty beast is going to quench his thirst with the blood of the saints. Now you might be saying, well, I would never worship or idolize such a beast like that. Well, I have news for you. If you're not a lover of the lamb, you will be a believer of the beast. Go on down through verse 7 and verse 8. And it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them and authority was given to it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the Lamb, in the book of the life of, life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. 
If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. We read that all who dwell on the earth will believe in the beast. Well, when you read that, the question arises, well, what about those saints that you just read about in verse 7? Didn't they dwell on the earth? Well, not really, because if you'll remember before, we talked about this before, the saints in verse 7, they're really a part of that group that dwells in heaven mentioned in verse 6 because they aren't living for this world. We talked about that in previous chapters. There's a group of people who will be living during that tribulation time who are living for this world, and there's a group of people who will not be living for this world, who will follow Christ uh, during that time of tribulation. And so there's a tremendous difference between living on earth and belonging to the earth. Paul said of the Christian in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 and 21, he said, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to be subject, uh, to subject all things to himself. And so even though right now we're living on this earth, where's our home? It's in heaven. So it's always already counted as if we're there. So when you read about these, these saints here in verse 7, it's already accounted as if they're there. Uh, they're not dwelling uh, on this earth. That phrase dwelling on this earth verse, on verse 8 doesn't refer simply to those who live on the earth. It's referring to those who love the earth. Uh, these are not people who are just passing through. They have made this world their home. They have put roots down. They are people who worship the creation rather than the creator. Uh, they'll con make a conscious, voluntary decision to follow the beast and worship the beast. Here's the thing. Maybe for those who are watching, maybe for someone who's here tonight, you may not be a Christian. You may think that you're a step ahead of God. You may think that you've heard this message and you've learned the truth that if, if, if the time comes when this beast does arise, you'll know what's going on and then you'll be saved and you won't follow the beast. That itself is the devil's lie to you. People even today do that, don't they? They say, well, I'll wait till tomorrow. I've got plenty of time. None of us know what time we've got left. If you believe the devil's lie now, you'll believe the devil's lie then. If you won't receive Jesus now, you won't receive Jesus then. So you can't wait till I'm on my deathbed, then I'll accept Jesus. Because you don't know whether you'll be conscious on your deathbed or not. Just like in these last days, you, you may very well fall for the lie of the devil. In, in 2 Thessalonians 2.10, Paul spoke of those who would not uh, when he said, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. There's going to be those in those last days who are going to refuse to be saved. You, you know, all of those tribulation things that happened in the beginning that we've looked at in those first three and a half years, all of those judgments that were being poured out upon the earth were to bring people to repentance. The church has already been raptured, but those who are left are still given that opportunity to repent, to turn to Jesus. The, the, the judgments that came were to get them to turn to Christ. And the Bible says they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. We're going to see that of those people in the tribulation from this point in Revelation all the way through. The more God's judgment comes, the more angry they get at God. But here's what we need to remember tonight. Remember this truth. Today's decisions determine tomorrow's 
destiny. Today's decisions determine tomorrow's destiny. Thousands of years ago, the Egyptian king kingdom was invaded by an Assyrian ruler by the name of Antiochus. The Egyptians knew they couldn't defeat him. And so they asked Rome to send help to help them defeat this Assyrian ruler. The Romans sent one of their most able tribunes to confront Antiochus with an ultimatum. Either withdraw or be destroyed by the mighty Roman Empire. Well, Antiochus, he equivocated. He, he was hoping to gain some kind of, uh, by deceit, what he couldn't win by war. And so he told the Roman tribune to give him time to think over his demand. That emissary from Rome immediately took his sword out of its sheath, drew a circle around Antiochus and said, decide before you step out of that circle. When you hear this word, when you hear God's word and you don't know Christ, you need to make a decision before you take a step out of the circle of what you've just heard from God's word. You can either choose God's spotless lamb or you can choose Satan's spotted leopard. You can either choose the Savior's blessing, or you can choose Satan's beast. But choose we must, and choose we will. To choose Jesus is to choose life. To choose the beast is to choose death. To choose Jesus is to choose heaven. To choose the beast is to choose hell. To choose Jesus is salvation from God. To choose the beast is separation from God. Choose today who you will serve. And may that choice be Jesus. This is the first choice, the first beast, the beast rising out of the sea. Wait till we come to verse 11 and we see the second beast. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that from what little we have seen here in chapter 13 tonight, in this first beast, this antichrist beast, Father, I pray that you will help us to see the urgency of making that decision now, that if we don't know Christ as our Lord and Savior, we would make that decision today, that we would choose Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Lord, there are many of us who may be listening, maybe who are here tonight, who may be watching online, who we've already chosen Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, but somewhere along the way, we've, we've lost the urgency, we've lost the fervor, we've lost the fire, we've lost the passion that we once had in our relationship with Jesus, and we've stopped telling others. Lord, I pray that you will create a fire within our hearts and within our souls to tell others, whether that just begins with our family, with our husband, with our wife, uh, with our children, uh, with our neighbors, whoever that may be in those innermost circles around us, our close friends, and then begin to branch out from there and to tell others uh, who we work with, our acquaintances and people even around the world, Lord, that we would be faithful to tell because as we've seen tonight, as we've heard over and over again from your word, there's not a one of us who knows the hour nor the day when our soul will be required, when death will come knocking at our heart's door. So, Lord, I pray 
that as believers we'll make the most of every opportunity we have to be looking for those opportunities to just be a simple touch in those people's lives to move them one step closer to receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Whether that's through our words, whether that's through our actions, uh, Lord, through whatever we might live before them, uh, whatever we might do for them on behalf of Christ and share with them on behalf of Christ, Lord, I pray that you will use every effort, every ounce of strength that we have in whatever days that we have remaining on this earth to be the witness you've called us to be. But Lord, just like we don't know the hour nor the day when our soul will be required, we none know the hour nor the day when Jesus will come again. Lord, we look at the, the political scene around this world. We look at the nations and the kingdoms around this world. And we can see, Lord, that things have been setting up for decades, maybe even centuries. Lord, for this day that is coming yet. When the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise. And Father, I pray that we'll make that decision now before it's too late for us then. Father, I pray that you will stir within our hearts, Lord, that until Jesus comes, we will be faithful to share the good news with those who are around us. Lord, use us, use our testimony, use your word to bring others to faith in Christ, and may you be glorified in our lives. And may we choose Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us there online. Thank you all for being here in person. Glad to have you. We'll be back on Sunday morning, 915 for Sunday school. Come join us in person, uh, 1030 for worship. We'll be online. You can join us there if you have to, uh, but we encourage you to come if you can. Uh, we have a lot of people who are coming now too, so uh, we look forward to seeing you. You have a blessed week. You stay safe, and we'll see you this coming Sunday.